listener and welcome to episode 9 of the YSF podcast, the podcast brought to you by Yorkshire Sport Foundation. I'm Andy Morgan, Media Manager at the Foundation and in this episode we're talking to Darton Primary School in Barnsley. The school is part of the St Mary's Academy Trust and towards the end of 2020 they were announced as the South Yorkshire winners of the innovation category in the Yorkshire Primary PE and School Sport Awards. They worked alongside Totally Runnable, an organisation who worked with girls and women in and out of schools, using running as the tool to empower, inspire, build confidence in sport, exercise and life. Now, some four or five years ago, the school made the decision to address some of the stereotypes around sport in their school. And they found that the impact it had went far beyond just sport and actually prompted a culture shift in the school. This is their story and we hope you enjoy so welcome to you all. Thank you for taking the time out to be on the podcast and share your story with us. Uh, it's podcast etiquette to both welcome and introduce you all. So without further ado, firstly from Darton Primary School, we're joined by Joe Lancet, the head teacher. Joe, quite a year for, for schools and head teachers. Um, how does this rank among your most challenging years, I guess, in the last six months or so? Um, yeah, it's uh, certainly quite high up there on um challenging uh, years and um, circumstances that we're facing that we've, we've never had to face before. Um, certainly be pleased when we finish this term, um, but staff have pulled together. You know, we've got a good um, community as well surrounding us. So, yeah, we're doing okay. Thank you. Good. And we've got something nice and positive to talk to for the next sort of uh, half an hour or so, so that'll be nice. Also from Darton Primary, we've got Kaylee Fisher, who's P coordinator. Hello to you, Kaylee. Hiya. Uh, from the wonderful Totally Runnable, I've written here, and it is true, uh, we have their co-founder and director, Natalie Jackson. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Natalie. Thank you. Hi. Uh, Natalie's co-founder is Emily Freeman, who is an Olympian, and another Olympian part of the Totally Runnable family joins us today, and that is Jenny Meadows, who is director of communications and relations. Um, as we record, Jen, we're recording this before Christmas. It'll probably go out when people listen to this just after Christmas. You're an expectant mum at the moment, so by the time it comes out... You could be a mum. Does that fill you with excitement? And um, I was going to use the word dread. That's absolutely not the right word to use. But, um, <laughs> a little bit of dread. A little bit of dread, actually, Andy. Um, yeah, um, such a strange year for us all in so many ways. But um, transitioning from being a professional athlete into the workplace and then mother-to-be. Um, yeah, very, very scary, actually. But um Another challenge in the life of me and something I'm looking forward to. Fantastic. So we are recording this episode to reflect on what Darton Primary School have achieved that resulted recently in them picking up the South Yorkshire Primary P Award for Innovation at the recent Yorkshire Primary P Awards. Congratulations to you for that. Well, I know it was in the last couple of months, but I don't suppose you get tired of hearing it. So a significant Woo! part. Of... I feel like we've I've got too deep a voice to do a woo, it'll knock the recording equipment out. So um, (laughs) a significant part of that was working alongside Totally Runnable. So Kaylee, go back to the Starks. This is not just sort of a a 12 months reflection, but what prompted you and the school to engage with Natalie and the team at Totally Runnable in the first place? Uh, We got involved about four or five years ago now with Totally Runnable to begin with. We first of all just started with the course of the Year 6 Girls, the Year 6 Girls Building Confidence in Sport because it looked good, it looked like something to get involved with. And from the second we had them in, we really enjoyed that course the first time we did it. We saw massive 
changes in the girls in other areas, like um, in terms of the other curriculum areas, they were becoming more confident in due to all the mindset work they were doing in the totally runnable course. So we just decided to get more and more invested from there, really. And over the past four years, we've done workshops, we've done assemblies, we've done the staff course, uh, we do the year six girls course every year. And then last year, we did the benchmarking and the whole school with that. Joe, it's great that we've got you on. And again, thank you for your time. We often ask the P coordinators on the podcast how they get buy-in from senior leadership teams. So it's great to have a, a senior leader at a school to, to ask those questions. So when I was reading your um, the nomination form that, it, that the school put in for uh, the Innovation Award, they said they had a sort of a gut feeling that sort of girls' confidence in sport wasn't wasn't quite there. So as the head teacher, with, with the varying priorities you've got, like all with their own merits... Why did you sort of back that gut feeling and go, yes, this is something you want to look into and something we want to address? It seems like such a long time ago now, looking back, and I can see the journey that we've we've come on. I can remember lots of little things. So I can remember we have um, a mugger, like many primary schools. And at the time, it was a, a schedule where classes could go down to the mugger and they could play. And it was always football. And it was always dominated by boys. And you'd start to notice um, patterns of behaviour in, in this primary school that were very kind of, um, well, that's what boys do. Boys play sport. Boys do this. Boys do that. Um, and over time, I started to notice that um, how often actually we as a staff would reinforce that perception that that's what boys do. That was there for them. For boys to let off steam. In the morning, it's really a playground because the boys need to, to run off that kind of energy before the school day starts. And what I liked about Totally Runnable was it wasn't just a, a one-off where they would come in, they would leave the session and then they would leave the school. It was about um, a shift. It was about a buy-in to um, a cultural change within school. And it it was just that everything came at the right time where I, I did have that gut feeling that some of the things that, I was unhappy about, I was conscious that we as a staff were part of and therefore responsible for the culture of the school, we as a leadership are responsible for. And it was about how can we how can we change that? How can we make that change? How can we get people to buy into this? And, and gradually, staff came on board. And we'd have conversations where they'd be aware that in the hall, you inevitably set up for assembly and you need some, you know, a couple of boys to go and put the benches out. And again, well, why do you need a couple of boys to put the benches out? Um, I can remember going into a classroom and the teacher couldn't get the lid or something. And uh, she said, oh, if only I had Mr. here to take the lid off. I can remember around Christmas time, a, a conversation with staff and kids and they were on about, they need to get their Christmas tree down, but they have to wait for their husband to come back and get the Christmas tree down. I'm thinking, we keep reinforcing this idea that that's a man's role and that's the woman's role. And we're a very, you know, primary as a profession is, is perhaps not in leadership, but certainly in, in teaching and, and support staff, very female. And therefore, some of the things that we as trying to change, we were also responsible for. We were reinforcing it. Um, and it was about us working together as a staff to say, actually, if we want to change this, if we want these children to grow up differently, then we have to be a part of that. And I can remember the initial meeting with Natalie 
I just felt as though the Totally Runnable were really on that same page. I know it sounds really cliche, but they weren't just offering the sports session. They weren't just offering, we'll come in and we'll work with your girls and then we'll leave you to it. The fact that it was a programme, I, I really liked. The fact that it was something that was tangible, the fact that there was something that um, you could see that improvement um, week by week. The fact that, as Kaylee said, that the skills these girls were learning, actually, they weren't even necessarily where they were learning them, but they were applying them beyond PE. And it was about their confidence, their self-esteem, and and actually them starting to tackle some of the the stereotypes. You chose, obviously, Total Runnable and the kind of the the sport route, activity route to address the things that you identified. Why that route? And and were there other things that you considered that could have achieved the same, or, you know, say obviously looking at it in hindsight, but might have initially gone, well, that can achieve the outcomes we want. So why the the activity route? I like the fact that Tokyo Winnable was a combination of the two, that there was the, the sport element for that kind of healthy lifestyle and physical activity um, and and getting girls into sport again or making sure they didn't lose that love of sport. Um, but I also like the fact that the other side of it was very much about um, the mental health for girls, particularly year six. You know, it's a challenging time, sort of the changes going on for them. Um, and it was nice to, to give them some time where we were investing in, in them. Uh, it was nice that it was just about the girls, actually, because for the first game, I think I'm right now, that it was just a, a girl program. I know that it's totally runnable and evolved. There are sessions now where the boys have sessions about um, stereotypes and, and, and we, we bought into that package as well and found that really beneficial. But it was really nice to do something for, for the girls, for their physical activity, for their self-esteem. They, they're all tied in. And that, that's what we've learned as we've been on the road um, with Tokyo Runnable. Um, it's the we, we everything that you would expect that kind of dip in self-esteem um, is at the same time where they don't perceive themselves as sporty and, 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 and it's about us trying to prevent that for girls as well it's about having a team of people around you it's about people who motivate you and surrounding yourself with um, people who you, it's, it's nice to have and I think girls can be quite isolated um, as they become certainly like young teenage girls and they become very preoccupied with their appearance or their, their physical um, body as opposed to just just get out there and just enjoy it. Where did you start, Nat and, and Kaylee? So once you've had that initial conversation gone, yes, you know, this, is, this is five years ago now, four or five years ago, was there kind of this long-term thing to get to, you know, we've, we've touched on the award, I don't think you sort of, well, don't think you set out set to um, win awards, but you did set out to change, like you say, the culture of the school what are the first steps you took on that sort of Nat, Kaylee and, and Joe? What was the, the first thing you wanted to do to almost lay the foundations for what has then come in the, in the years that have followed? I think it's all sort of like come over time and the more the kids have given back to us that changing culture, the more we've become invested in it. So like, for instance, after a couple of years, I ran a cheerleading team and it was all girls that came. And then actually we started to see a shift where some of the boys as Almost a bit of a joke at first, like, oh, should we go on cheerleading? Oh, that'll be a laugh. Let's go to that. And then they came on and loved it, became invested, came to competitions with us. 
And that started to filter down school and you could see like the younger ones then starting to join in. And you could almost see as that came together as a boy and girl sport. You could see the playtime changing. The mother wasn't being dominated by the boys anymore. The girls would be as stuck in as the boys were with the football game. And as we started to see, go on that, as we started to see like responses from that, we wanted to drive it even further. And I think that's what motivates us to keep pushing and keep taking it even further year on year with the goal. I remember that session where the boys, um, we did a session with, I think it was year five or year six boys. And it was, uh, it's our boys fairness session. And so it's about girls and boys and stereotypes in sport, but actually the boys don't know that until the last 15 minutes. They think it's about a made up world where half the people have got purple hair and half the people have got uh, green hair. And it's about this unfair world where everybody's got the same potential, but people with purple hair and people with green hair are treated differently purely based on their hair colour. And we get we get to the end of that session and we talk about the ways that stereotypes hurt boys as well. So we talk about it, we do the big reveal and it's actually girls and boys in sport and the the pupils who've been the ones with the green hair are outraged that this is an unfair system and then they think, oh actually this is what girls are going through a lot in terms of traditional, stereotypical sort of your football, rugby, things that boys are channeled into. And I remember that session um, because we got to the point where we said, you know, how are, how are boys harmed by stereotypes in, in sport, but in the rest of the world? And um, I remember one one boy in the class put his hand up and he said, I'd quite like to go to cheerleading, but I can't. And there was some laughing on the other side of the room. And there usually is in that sort of setting. But it's super brave to say that, I think, as a year six, year five or year six boy to say, I'd like to go chilling, but I can't. And the laughing is is understandable. I get it. If they've grown up in a world where it's crazy for a boy to want to do cheerleading, there's going to be some laughing. But I love it when they laugh in in the session because then you can address it. And I remember saying, okay, we're laughing. Why do we think we're laughing? Why do we think that's strange? And we unpacked it. We had a bigger conversation about it. And another hand went up across the room and another boy said, I'll come with you. And they were a little bit giggly. They were a little bit nervous about it. But there was something about them that they wanted to go. They'd seen cheerleading. They wanted to go. They felt like when asked the question, how do stereotypes hurt boys? That was their answer. And so I loved hearing later that they'd ended up going and that you've now got children, you know, they've now left the school. You now have year threes and year fours coming through, boys and girls joining cheerleading because it is normal. It's, you, you've changed the culture in the school and I love that, that you guys have done that. Oh, thank you. That's what I, for, for me, is that cultural shift that was totally runnable and that's different to any other programme. As a head teacher, you're balancing such a tight budget and you're prioritising all the time where any money that you've got goes. And what totally runnable has done is it is genuinely genuinely supported that cultural shift this is probably perhaps until you stop and do something like this and someone asks you to do a podcast that you perhaps do a more of a reflection and go wow actually we've come a long way so how does the school that nat first walked into five years ago differ to the, the school that she might walk into today um for starters you would see a lot more um challenge if um if people were making comments, um, but actually people would recognise, now actually, well, is that right? And I'm from children and from staff. Um, we still will make comments, uh, but I think, oh, actually, you know, we've still got to make sure that we're not 
reinforcing what we're trying to move away from. So, we, you know, we're not perfect by any stretch. But there's, there is that big cultural shift, which was always the objective. This wasn't something that we were just going to tick these three things on the list and we were done. It was always going to be a long game. But saying that, there was never, I never had any massive kind of plan in terms of how it would work. But when I do reflect back, I think, actually, we've really challenged the views of children. We really have the fact that it is very normal that if you open up cheerleading, nobody would say, well, can boys do that? It's just cheerleading. Of course they can do that. In the same way that when we offer after-school football, nobody says, well, can the girls join in the football? It's just football. And exactly as it should be. And that's the world that they're growing up in. It's it's 100% as it should be. The children are so much more aware of moving away from gender stereotypes. We as staff have moved on so much. And I think that, again, is from the fact that different staff have taken part. We're totally vulnerable as well with the children. And we've quite, as it's gone on, we've quite deliberately put certain staff with the groups of children. And these staff have really got on board with what it's about to the point where... um, we did um, the death to, to 5K, um, again, we're totally runnable, but we did it as a, initially we decided we were going to do it as a staff team. And the response that we got was brilliant from people who you wouldn't have thought would be keen to do that. But then we decided that we wanted to go, we were changing the culture with children, we're changing the culture with staff. Actually, it's about the messages that they get at home as well and in this big wide world. So we then opened that up to parents anticipating that, you know, maybe we might get somebody who's interested. And again, we had a really good response from parents. So there was a group of about 25 staff and parents who took part in this six-week programme. And it was just brilliant, absolutely brilliant to, to see that we were at that stage where we could do that. And we were then at a stage of how we would develop that further. But unfortunately, uh, coronavirus took. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Ryan here from the PE Umbrella Podcast. But what is the PE Umbrella, I hear you say? The PE Umbrella Podcast is a weekly show for all things primary PE. I interview top practitioners from around the world, share my own teaching reflections and awesome resources. You can find the podcast on all the podcasting platforms and with over 150 episodes already in the locker, you don't want to miss out any longer. So what are you waiting for? Come on over and join me under the PE Umbrella and visit us at www.peumbrella.com. We use these podcasts to share examples of good practice and sometimes I can imagine people listen to it and go, oh, we just did this, did this, did this. Oh, there we are, four years down the line, we've won an award and we the school's culture's changed. It's obviously not that easy. Picking on the, the reference there to teachers, um, they might be thinking, well, I've got a girl in my class who's needs to improve her writing and, and you're getting them to come in and do workshops on how is that going to improve that end result. So what message do you deliver to staff, first of all? Get them on side because, you know, it's the people with a passion for peer activity will go, yes, this is great. But there'll probably be some who have been even thinking back when they were at school because of be it language used or just those stereotypes that you're now trying to address are put off by the thought of doing something active. So how did you deliver that message? We did different things, yeah. really, because staff came at it from different angles. And I can remember saying to, um, to Nat, I can remember going to the gym after work 
and um, it was just full of men. And the reason why it was full of men on the whole, I know it's, a, again, a bit of a stereotype, but generally it was because I look at our staff, they were working all day, they were staying behind together planning the marking, they were going home for their childcare, they were with, with their children, and they didn't have time to do um, anything like that. Whereas their husbands might be off playing football or golf. And again, I know it's a bit of a stereotype, but so many of our staff were sporty when they were younger, but actually it stopped. It was about, again, that idea that it didn't, it wasn't about us ever. We, we had a netball team, a staff yeah. netball team. And it was never about wanting to be really good at netball. It was about pulling us together. It was about us being a team, about us having time to say, actually, our job's really important. We're really committed to our job. But actually, we want to do something outside of work. And um, it was it really, was really a nice good. time to start with, wasn't it? it like, yeah. Let's have an hour where we don't focus on what's in our English book, what's yeah. in our math books, what lessons we're teaching tomorrow, and just gel as a team and be together. Um, and Nat, I'm going to a pinch a stat that you gave me in the one we had a chat a couple of weeks ago, which sort of links into that. But um, 75% of women and girls want to be more physically active but are scared of being judged. And 85% of primary PE teachers are female. Now, there's clearly, and they're not, there's not small percentages, though. You um, don't need to be a math teacher to, to come to that conclusion. But how big a challenge does that pose in all the schools that you work in, I guess? And in terms of addressing that, that's um, fear of judgment from the teachers, let alone the how that then filters down to the pupils. Yeah, so we would always go into a school, and so our, our five company values are being supportive, curious, ambitious, fun, and brave. I would never go into a school and say your staff are very confident, but I would ask the question based on those statistics. So we know that eighty-five percent of primary teachers in this country are female. We also know that Sport England's This Girl Can campaign found that 75% of women and girls want to be more physically active in their own lives but are scared of judgment. So even just by virtue of putting those two statistics together, if we believe those two statistics, which I do, two-thirds of all primary teachers in this country, at least, because that's not including the, the male primary teachers as well who may not be confident about their own physical activity, two-thirds of primary teachers in this country aren't confident enough with their own physical activity that they would increase it without fearing judgment from somewhere. Add to that the fact that still in, in a lot of cases we have an average of something like six hours of PE training on the average PTCE course compared to weeks and weeks of literacy or math. Super important, but actually six hours of PE is not enough. Add that to people who might already not be confident with their own physical ability. We've got a major problem if we're then asking teachers to portray a super confident air about their delivery of physical activity. They're not necessarily going to. So we're always conscious that that might be a factor. And we would always go in and say, look, how can we support you with that? And I certainly remember in the first couple of years we worked with Darton, we weren't necessarily working with staff as a group. It was individual staff maybe coming into sessions and, and it was building their confidence because actually staff are, they may not be confident with their own physical activity. They, they may not go to the gym. They may not do anything particularly themselves, even though they're perfectly capable. But actually, they're perfectly capable. You know, they are intelligent, capable teachers. This isn't that they, they aren't capable of doing physical activity. This is that they aren't confident with it because the systems let them down. 
So actually what our starting point is always in anything to do with the staff is it's about building their confidence, meeting them where they're at and building their confidence because actually you don't wake up one day knowing everything about the ad tech. You just have confidence in your ability to go and look up the ad techs and be able to teach it. You, you don't necessarily wake up one day with confidence in your own physical ability. But actually, if we can give you that, you're empowered to go and seek out the knowledge and the skill base. The confidence is always the starting point. And you can always do more than you think you can. You've, you spoke there on, at different points, we all touched on things that you've done. So to look at it from a, a practical point of view, without giving away all your secrets, Nat, of how to- why Totally Runnable has been such a success, um, and similarly your perspective on this, Kaylee. But what are some of the practical things you've done? So you ter- talked about workshops. What sort of things do you discuss in there? What are the the practical opportunities to be active that you've given them? Are there, is there anything over the last three or four years that, whether you'd say hasn't worked, but on reflection you might have done a bit differently? Has it all been plain sailing? Have there things you've gone, mm, well, next year with next year's year threes, we'll tweak that a little bit? So from our totally runnable perspective across the board, we're always looking to improve and develop everything that we do. A year on year, our courses will improve because that's the intention. We're always learning in that sense. Um, I know that since we started working with Darton, we've developed our own courses specific to them, but also more broadly. So we would, we, every course, I think, will be slightly different in every school, with every group of children, with every um, school culture. So that there's always an element of that. Um, no, is there anything you guys would do differently? I think for us with the parents, it was the barrier of like their own children and the childcare. And we thought about that the next time we, we put a pressure on, but actually that meant one staff member staying till like five o'clock that night, yeah. sat with those children. And what we started yeah. to look at was catering it around our after school provision ordinarily mm-hmm. and sort of saying, well, if you come along as a parent, we'll give your child a free place to go and do this other sporting activity. So sort of pulling it in together. And I think that's where we want to take it next in practical terms. And you've done the, um, again, reading through your application, you did some benchmarking, didn't you, Natalie? Uh, without that being in the last 12 months. And just talk us through that benchmarking process and what it led to, like I say. So the benchmarking is part of our wider collaborative review. So we do a collaborative review school that gives essentially a, a figure for the gender sport gap. So it gets, allows you to actually measure that gender sport gap within your school. So we know this is an issue for a lot of schools. We know it's an issue in society more widely. But actually what's going on in your school is, is the question, the first question that any any staff member or head teacher or SLT would be asking us. And so the within that that allows us to in a super positive way we use a challenge run style to do it so all the children are running a set distance we know how far they've run they don't know that it's necessarily about gender gaps or anything like that we're also measuring any gaps between people premium or SCND children and non-SCND and non-people premium so it's very positive and personal challenge focused but actually the school will get a report afterwards on what's actually where the gaps are so that as a tool from our perspective is really useful to talk through with schools about the wider what are you seeing what should we be we know that there should be absolutely no physical difference between girls and boys at primary school age until children get to puberty so girls will often have a growth spread at year five and six that boys don't have to year seven and eight so actually if anything the only difference we should see at primary school is girls will often be bigger and stronger by year five and six and you only need to look at an average of year six class at the end of year six to see a difference there in a lot of cases. So we know that 
that should be the only difference in the statistics. But in almost every school we go in, there is a gap the opposite way. And I think our statistics for last school year, up to being shut down for COVID, where the, there was an average gap of something like 166 metres that boys were running further across all of Key Stage 1 and 2. And that was something like 6,000 children that we were putting the statistics. There often is a gap. And that's where we would, one of our starting points with any school with but as we did last year we would now look at that and say here's what's going on on the ground here's what we're seeing how did you guys where did you guys think that fitted in with what you were seeing was it useful to see the statistics was it useful to know where you guys were at specifically uh, it was useful for us and what we saw coming through was the older children the gap had started to uh, narrow and get smaller so that was what we expected to see. That was what we wanted to see as a result of the work. And then it was we were starting to look at how we then um, narrow that gap lower down school until COVID hit. So that's what we were going to look at um, next. But we have started trying to get the younger ones more involved with things. Like we've just done the hit the ground running challenge. And like our year ones were involved in that, running their 20 miles. They were running around the mugger every day and really excited about that. Um so I will be interested when we do that. We're doing the benchmarking in January. Um, Alice is going to come in and do that with us. Where that is now after lockdown, where that's taken things, whether it's still the year groups it was last year, what impact that's had. Um, and then we'll make a plan from there with who we need to be targeting and where, mm. the, where the gaps are wide and where the gaps are more narrow. I think to move um, the conversation on, I think one of the things you've, that has come through all of this is that we've you've sort of worked to almost normalise activity and you know addressing those stereotypes and and one of those things around that is um role models and uh jen to bring you in on this i was was reading about your career um and an interview you did with the bbc when you retired uh you were talking about you'll know the quote and others listening may know this as well so apologies but you're talking about the 2009 world championships you'd won a bronze medal and the quote was i remember being on the back straight with the union jack flag just thinking yeah what a great quote i don't know where i actually came came to uh, find that one from somewhere <laughs> probably deep inside of me but yeah you know gosh I wish I was a pupil at Darton primary school when I was you know um in that age group because I yeah I'm an Olympian and I'm a world medalist but I was really you know underconfident really of actually showing that I was good at sports I really you know was one of those kind of people that suffered from the gender stereotype I used to almost hide my talent um, didn't really want anyone to think I was good at sports because it would have made me stand out it was definitely the boys in my school playground who you know were physically active and the girls all kind of sat around chatting you know things like that and I really think it took me a long time to kind of squash some of those gender stereotypes, believing myself. Um, definitely what I love about the courses that Totally Winnable do is the mindset challenges as well. And, you know, I had to kind of go through that in later life uh, as part of a professional athlete. If I wasn't a professional athlete and I probably didn't get some help, you know, with mental skills and mental health and psychological kind of characteristics I definitely wouldn't have reached my potential and you know I I did start winning medals which was absolutely fantastic but really late in my career actually 
Um, and, and again, you know, it was one of those moments I pinched myself when, when I was on that back straight doing that victory lap. Um, I can remember probably one of my first role models was Sally Gunnell. She was, you know, obviously Olympic champion, Barcelona 1992. I was 11 years of age and, you know, seeing her win a medal for Great Britain, being a female, was amazing. And it gave me some hope and belief that I could do the same. Yeah, I probably didn't believe I could ever do it. So it was definitely one of those moments when I did start winning medals where I pinched myself and thought, my goodness, I'm, I'm one of those sorts of people that, you know, that can actually do this. And there's nothing special about me whatsoever. But, um, you know, really thankful I, I did reach my potential eventually. What you've achieved is fantastic. And I, I couldn't say what percentage of the population go on to be world medalists or world finalists or or whatever in any profession i imagine it's still relative you're in a very um small percentage of people in the country and um, so if if girls or boys go on to to achieve that that's great and you know we have the opportunity to do it and believe they can do it but how what part do you think role models play in sort of inspiring young children girls and boys particularly girls to have that confidence to go and achieve whatever it is they want to achieve be that going to an olympics or you know, it seems odd to say pursuing a career about primary school children, but you know what I mean? Just having that inner confidence, self-confidence that they can do anything they put their, their mind to and it's that it's not off limits to them because they're a girl. I absolutely love spending time in primary schools. It's one of the best, you know, ways I can think of spending a day. And, you know, again, stereotypically, you generally go into a primary school and you see the younger, you know, key stage one kids who totally believe you can achieve anything. Um, you know, nothing is off limits. And most of the time it's as they progress through school, you know, key stage two exactly, you know, how Darton said they worked with year six girls to start off with. Um, you start seeing that people put up barriers and they give reasons why they can't achieve things. So quite often if I'm in a school and I'm going as, you know, Jenny Meadows the medal winning athletes and all the kids want to know how many gold medals I've managed to win and that's what they see success as and quite deliberately I always take a bronze medal in with me and not a gold medal and you know I've obviously won gold medals but I I take a bronze and it is from that world championship um, in Berlin and you know I always say that is my best achievement because actually I had to be really brave and step out of my comfort zone to win that medal. It was the first medal that I won um, on a global stage, and I kind of surprised myself. Once you win one medal, you start believing yourself, and subsequent years I managed to get quite a few more medals, which was great. But I did have to be really brave and think to myself, you know, sometimes it's really easy to hide a little bit and hide your talent or not quite believing yourself. And it's kind of a safe environment. But actually putting your body on your on the line and giving your best and being prepared to maybe fail and come up a little bit short is, is really, really difficult to do. So I remember winning that bronze medal and actually just thinking to myself, wow, it took so much more than just the physical ability it took, you know, the psychological skills, it took the belief, et cetera. And again, I think part of being a role model is not always being the top of your game. Um, of course, skills love to know 
and they get people in to talk about being a role model, people who are very successful. But I actually am always completely honest and talk about the struggle and lots of times where I've actually failed um, to achieve what I wanted to. Um, I guess the word resilience would come in a lot to that and, um, you know, just not giving up, carrying on. And I think a role model is just someone who's really, really relatable. And we don't just look at a role model and think, well, they're amazing and I'm nothing like you. A role model should be somebody who's successful in their career, but somebody who has maybe gone through the struggle and you know, someone who people can identify. Um, so one of our big projects that we're, we're doing at the moment is some role model posters in, in primary schools. We're getting those into the schools in Yorkshire. And we're really, really excited about that project because it's not having posters of successful people at the end of their career like myself that you would see on television it's actually posters of girls aged 10 to 15 uh, playing their sport you know committing trying their best and actually being role models to girls and boys in primary school and I think you know we always use the kind of logo um you know you've got to see it to be it so if you don't see that people don't believe that they can be that so that's a project that we're looking at starting in the new year and we're really, really excited about the impact that these posters can have um, in all the schools in Yorkshire. And as luck would have it, <laughs> one such role model um, comes from Darton, I believe. Um, who wants to sort of give the, the Millie. to it? Is it Millie? Yeah, Millie one Powell. Of the, one of the role model posters. Um, for us, I mean, that's just fantastic. That's absolutely fantastic for us that um, Millie was kind of the start of are working with Totally Runnable. So actually, yeah. it's absolutely fantastic that the next stage of Totally Runnable is, is ties back to the very beginning with us. Um, Millie, um, she was exceptional. She's exceptional. She was um, a wonderful, wonderful student, but she was really, really, really keen on sport and really enthusiastic. Um, I can remember we had the sports day, didn't we? She got spotted, didn't she? And she was she was just exceptional um, and a, a really good example of kind of all the kind of qualities that you would want um, somebody to have. Yeah, she yeah, just brilliant. And um, Millie went off to Peniston, didn't she? Yeah. And has continued. We still see mums. We've got a little sister in school as well. Um, but yeah, just fantastic because I think the key thing um, from what Jenny was saying as well is if you don't. If you don't see it, you don't know it's there. And that's a big part of kind of the whole uh, culture capital of, of children's awareness. If you, you look at any career, if they don't know it, how would they ever know that that's something that they would want to do? And unless they're surrounded by um, these role models, they don't know that there's those opportunities, um, which is why I do think the role of staff is so important. And then to have this on top of it, I just think it's brilliant. I was about to say, did the, the we talk about um, the likes of Jenny, who they'll see on uh, TV at a World Championships or, a, or an Olympics, or, and see them on TV. But that is obviously World Championships. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jenny. Every couple of yeah. years, obviously Olympics every four years. There is more female sport on TV now, but certainly nowhere near comparable to the coverage that men's sport gets. So, so Joe and Kaylee, was that was there any part of your thinking around getting parents and teachers then involved? in terms of uh, almost role models like 
those children will see every day. Yeah, we said that, didn't we? The kids have got to see it. Um, The part of the, I remember with the club at the end of the the session, um, a lot of children would finish their other clubs and they'd come onto the playground and um, they'd be cheering us as we were doing like our final laps. And that was brilliant that they would see us as a group of staff doing that. And I thought that was a really important message for girls in particular that, that we're your teachers, but actually, you know, we, we're, we're friends, we're girls, we're women, we're yeah. bonded to do something like this together and, and we'd be struggling. <laughs> <There'd> be <laughs> That's a it, not just the yeah. <laughs> that we're walking and we'd be encouraging each other and um, yeah, it was it was tough but it was brilliant that they saw us like that. That's okay. Um, our teaching staff deliver PE um, we've never bought into a package and I, I see primary schools where they buy into something and they're, let's get a man to come into school and to deliver this. Actually, we invest in staff and, and that is exactly as you said, that's about confidence, about women feeling that they are confident and able to deliver this and that girls see that. Otherwise, you, you give a really subliminal message if you say, OK, let's buy this company in because they're going to send a man in to deliver PE while your female teacher goes to mark your books. It's a real message to girls. Of course, they're not going to grow up believing that they are capable of doing this. And there's a bit more to Millie's story, wasn't there? That she's done brilliantly through her through a sport and um, through a running. But there's there's more to that from her background with something um, related to her maths as well. I just remember her having this like sudden burst of confidence, um, like midway sort of through year six. She'd always been, oh, I struggle with maths. I don't find it too easy. Um, I want to come to all the booster groups, I want extra help. And then suddenly it was like clicking and it was, oh, I don't need that extra support anymore. I can do it. Like I can have a go at a question. If I get it wrong, it's fine. I can learn from that. I can keep going. Um, And she just came from this like, she was quite a shy girl at one point, wasn't she? And she became from this quite like quieter girl into this real confident girl who had a real presence in our school. And the younger children started to look up mm. to her. And I was going to say, they, she already was yeah. a role model. That's really yeah. important, actually, that by the time Millie left, I can remember in the year six leaving yeah. speech saying that we'd have a new wing built and we'd call it the Millie yeah. Powell. <laughs> <laughs> she genuinely was, for a, a, an 11-year-old child, inspirational by that point, because she, she was a role model to the yeah. younger the And younger that's child. why it's so important to put her in front of girls and boys Across yeah. Yorkshire, across the country, that's, this is the exact reason behind the Role Models Project for us. So the posters, the idea of them is to put a set of posters in front of girls, boys and staff who might not otherwise see such brilliant role models. And they are just normal girls, you know, they are normal people yeah. who, for whatever reason, are brilliant role models. But they are they are normal people. They aren't sort of elite athletes necessarily, the, you know, the best in the country, but they love what they do and yeah. they are role models to other people. And that's why it's so important to us. And it was so important to us to get it to schools for free as well. So we'd managed to secure some funding um, to get it to every school in West and South Yorkshire for free. So that's our start. What's a, a simple thing schools can do then, Nat? There's a, there's a lot gone on here in the last four or five years. What's the what's a start point for schools with um, So with a yourselves? lot of schools might be thinking, well, there might be a gender sport gap here. Is there something going on? Where do I look? How do I start? The easiest starting point for any school in that position, a P coordinator, head teacher, SLT, is to Google Girls and Sport Pledge or have a look on our website, which is totallyrunnable.com. We have a Girls and Sport Pledge and it's um, 
aimed at any school who is either doing more for girls in sport and wants some recognition for that, wants to, to bring that up the agenda in terms of profile, or a school who wants to do more for girls in sport. So whilst it is about gender stereotypes in general, it is specifically about doing more for girls in sport because it is for schools who acknowledge that in the world society, the media more widely, there are different messages being sent to girls and boys about sport. And we do need to redress that balance. So the Girls in Sport Pledge is something completely free to join. Um, we've got about 200 schools, I think, um, joined up to it now. You get a free resource pack, a sticker, a certificate to say you're part of it, and half-termly newsletters with free CPD, success stories about other schools that have um, implemented changes and seen, seen different things happening in a positive way in their schools. It, your resource pack comes with uh, basically a checklist of, it's around an aquatic 40, so S is for stereotypes, P is for photos, with for occasions it's um simple straightforward checklist of the kinds of things we often spot in schools might indicate a gender sport that more widely so that's the best starting point for any school this is PU Yorkshire Sport Foundation and leading national organizations are working with physical educators across the country to support parents to teach PE at home these will be free fun and easy to follow, PE activities for the whole family to enjoy together. Focusing on different aspects of the national curriculum, our short online videos delivered by PE teachers will help to continue your child's skill development in PE. This is PE. Search YouTube for This Is PE or go to yorkshiresport.org slash thisispe. Is there a particular moment that sticks out of the last four or five years or a particular story of a pupil? It might have been Millie, for example, in terms of things that you sort of reflect on with, with most pride, or is it just the general how the school has evolved, if you like, over the last four or five years through this? For me, you know, it's watching my current class every day at the moment because they've been part of this journey since they were sort of like year two now, yeah. watching the older girls develop. And like yesterday, for instance, we were out playing tag rugby and the girls were just so fierce. And I just feel like a proud picture. And at the end, I was talking to one of them. I said, you should go join a rugby team. You're absolutely phenomenal at this sport. And she says, oh, yeah, some of the boys in the class play. I might ask them where they go. And I just thought that was brilliant that she was, first of all, so confident in the game. Every morning I take them like down on the mugger and the girls are as stuck in as the boys with the football game that's going on. And just to see that really coming through makes me like proud of what we've done and where it's going. To other head teachers who might see if they face value, totally runnable error, um they'll see the name and think, Oh, they're gonna get kids to come in and are oh, they gonna come in and get the kids to do more running? How is that gonna contribute to all these other challenges I've got from Ofsted, from the governors to to do that? You know, we spoke about Millie and how it it contributed to her, her maths and gave her more confidence. What would you say to other people in your position who made out that what on face value at the at very least is a, is a sports project can do anything more than just getting a few more kids running around the playground, as important as we know that is? Yeah, it's, it is really hard because you, you're you inundated with emails of people offering this, that and the other um, and... I, I can only speak from my experience and, and this school, and I can honestly say hand on heart, it is the best initiative 
that we have got involved in by far. We, like many of the schools I mentioned earlier, budget-wise, you know, you're, you're always looking to how you can spend those funds to make sure you have an impact and you make a difference. And our data at various times might not have been as strong as we would have wanted. And you think, well, should we have, you know, put our efforts there? And it, it was a gamble. I remember it felt like a gamble at the time. I remember talking to the governing body and saying, no, look, this is what we need to do. Um, and I, I, I don't have any regrets. And I, I know that this will continue to evolve because Totally Runnable are committed to that sense of actually we will make it fit for purpose for your school, for the stage of the journey that you're on. So it isn't a one-size-fits-all. Our school... I'm talking in, in our context. That isn't necessarily the same for all of the schools um, across Yorkshire. Um, but for our school, that was something that was needed. And the, the academic improvements have gone alongside the time period that we have worked with Totally Runnable. And, and I don't think that that is just by chance. I think there's a number of factors. And one of those factors is the work we've done with Totally Runnable. Because those children have seen, actually, just have a go at it. It's that the mindset stuff has been absolutely fantastic. Um, the improvements of the girls to just have a go at things, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you if you don't get the top marks. You're not doing this to win. You're not doing it to be the best at something. But you have nothing to lose from giving it a go. And, and as a school, that is very much the culture that we've created. That's very much, that was always very important to me, that that was the culture that I wanted with staff that this isn't a test, do something different, be creative, be innovative, try something different. We don't have to do what we've always done and um, push the boundaries, be, you know, um, innovative mm-hmm. with your approach of what you're doing. Um, and it, it's, I have no regrets at all. And, and I'm, I'm really excited about how post-COVID we continue to, to work along totally vulnerable, alongside totally vulnerable and, and do this. That was the story of Darton Primary School, and I hope that you took plenty of inspiration from it. I'd like to thank Joe, Kaylee, Nat, and Jen for their time. As we mentioned in the podcast, uh, we recorded that in December, and Jenny has now had a baby daughter. So, from all of us at York Sport Foundation, congratulations to Jenny and her husband. We've put some of the links to what we discussed in the show notes, which you can find when you click on the episode details. You can also go to yorkshire.org forward slash podcast for all those show notes. And all the episodes we've recorded so far, if you want to go back and have a listen to any of the other primary P episodes we've done in the past or any of the other episodes we've done around things like women and girls sport, then do go and have a listen. So thank you for listening. And if you have any suggestions of topics you want us to cover on future episodes, you can tweet us at Yorkshire Sport or send me an email to media at yorkshiresport.org. You've been listening to the YSF podcast from Yorkshire Sport Foundation. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Yorkshire Sport or email us media at yorkshiresport.org.